You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. It's officially the offseason, and unfortunately getting there brought a result that we all did not want in the Cincinnati Bengals losing to the Los Angeles Rams in Super Bowl 56. I'm Anthony Cazenza. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast coming at you, and I'm joined by John Sheeran. John, it's tough to keep this one together um, in terms of emotions and everything. Try not to let the emotions get the best of us. We try and be professional, as objective as possible in covering this team. But I, I got to tell you, man, for a lot of different reasons, this one this one stings quite a bit. Um, I'm not taking a lot of solace in a lot of things, quite honestly. You know, it was it was a rough like hour or so after the game, just driving back from my friends. I was in downtown Cincinnati and, you know, there's people walking back home or walking back to their cars and just a very mellow atmosphere. There was a lot of people downtown outside watching the game and it was a very vibrant atmosphere. And, you know, it was, it was unfortunate. It just in the, in the manner in which they lost when in, in the game, everyone realized that they were going to lose everyone was kind of riding that high and then just kind of fell off a little bit. And I don't know, it it was, it was very mixed. It was a very mixed bag for me. Obviously it was very sad to to see it go out like that. And it was very sobering to realize that the city is not going to, you know, find that, that joy and celebration in a win. But at at the same time, I don't know, man, It, it was just a game where a lot of things went right for both teams. And it was a very enjoyable Super Bowl to watch and we don't always get that and to see that happen when the Bengals were playing in a game that was tightly contested and a game that they definitely could have won several times during it I don't know it was like at the very least it wasn't as if they, the Bengals showed that they didn't belong there or it was like it was really a fluke no they, they proved why they deserve to be on that stage and I think they proved a lot of what we were talking about what we were saying about them we've proved that to be right. Like they deserve to be in that game and there are plenty of chances for them to win. Unfortunately though, the Rams were just the better team and that's just how it goes. There has to be a loser, right? It, it's not always going to be a storybook ending. There, there's always a team on the other side of the parade and the celebrations and the popping, the champagne. And this time it was the Bengals. Well, again, I think, I think bittersweet is a good, a, a good description of it. Bittersweet for, Bengals fans, bittersweet for us on this show and who who write for Cincy Jungle 
and have covered such a special season and, and really a special couple of weeks leading up to this big game. We had a lot of cool opportunities to speak to a lot of different popular people in, in the Bengals organization, past, present, etc. over the last week or so. Um, I kind of did a bucket list thing and actually went to the game myself. And that, that may not have been the greatest idea either based on the result. <laughs> and, uh, my, my, for those who follow me on Twitter or heard, I, I actually was pickpocketed on my way out of the, the stadium and lost my phone just about 30, 45 minutes after the whole result occurred. So it kind of was a nice swift kick to the groin after, you know, a heartbreaking end for me. <laughs> Regardless, I mean, cool experience. I do recommend that anyone who goes, who has the opportunity to go to a Super Bowl, that you do that to experience it at least once. Um, I do not recommend getting pickpocketed, though. <laughs> that's not that's not fun. But it, look, uh, like you said, I mean, there there were so many ebbs and flows to this game, and so many opportunities for both teams really to start taking a stranglehold on this thing, and they, and neither of them really did. And it kind of just came down to sort of the cliche who got the ball last but also just who who was going to make enough plays at the end there there are a lot of different areas in which to blame we'll talk about some of the the areas of concern what's ahead for this team uh, in terms of free agency t- uh, not necessarily targets but just kind of what what their approach may be and of course just uh, about this game and about h- how to how to deal with an 0-3 history for the Cincinnati Bengals in the Super Bowl. I mean, it's a it's a tough one there, John. I guess that's as good a, a, of a place to start as any. Bengals are 0-3 in Super Bowls, and their average margin of loss is four points, two of which their last two definitely came down to the wire, the last possession really for, for both of their opponents. Um, can't, you know, they, they scored on those. And then the other one was a big comeback. Led by led by Ken Anderson, they were down twenty to nothing at halftime and ended up losing that game. Uh, so, I mean, they, I, I don't know, man. I, we we talk about how we're all optimistic after this one. Yeah, we're we're upset and sad they lost, but we're all optimistic because this appears to be the start of something special, a special run, a dynasty, perhaps especially in Joe Burrow's second year and whatnot. But I also worry about John Super Bowl hangover for the, for the losing team. That seems to kind of be a thing. And also it's really difficult to get to this game. We saw what a difficult path and what the Bengals basically borderline miraculous path, what they had to take to get here, who they had to beat, how they beat these teams. It's very tough to get back to this game. So yes, while I think there's something special brewing here, John, I am worried about, immediate future and how realistic that championship window is in some respects. Yeah. And there's never going to be not a downside to losing the Super Bowl. And if that is, I guess the new Cincinnati curse, you know, losing on a final drive of the Super Bowl when you have an elite quarterback, that's much better than just bouncing out of the playoffs in the first round. So everything's relative, right? You know, this team took gigantic steps, steps that let's, let's be honest, no one really expected them to take this year in terms of just like just compartmentalizing everything that happened in this game, these types of games, at least from what the Bengals did, and they made so many great plays. There are so many great moments that we should be cherishing and not just forgetting about because they came in a loss, like the Joe Mixon 
touchdown, the, the Jamar Chase catch with one hand, T. Higgins' mossing of Jalen Ramsey. Like, those moments, they, they usually come in wins, right? And, like, that that's just how that goes in these games. But it didn't this time. And that's because the clear deficiencies on the Bengals' team, it came back to bite them in the worst way. And so many times we talked about this team overcoming a bad red zone offense, this team overcoming a bad offensive line. And this is just the one matchup where they weren't able to do that. So for, for me, in terms of like looking at this from a long-term perspective, because no one should take for granted getting to the Super Bowl in the first place. No one can just comfortably say that, okay, this team is so good that they, they will for sure be back. You can have confidence in that because of who the quarterback is and the continuity of the roster, but there are 30 other teams that are vying for to be where the Bengals and Rams were. And specifically in the AFC, everyone loves to, loves to talk about the quarterback talk. And you can say the, th- the same things about Joe Burrow, about Josh Allen, about Justin Herbert, about all these other quarterbacks that have found a place in this league. And if the whole thing is like, oh, Joe Burrow's going to get a ring before he retires, well, you can say the same thing about Herbert and Allen and all those other guys. So those guys eventually will get their chances to get to where the Bengals are too. It's just about how many more times could the Bengals continue to pull out wins in those clutch moments. And I think that's what kind of hurts the most, I guess. It's like the Bengals had all these things go right for them and stringing together these these playoff wins and getting to this point. And it's not when it's always going to be disappointing. It's always going to be somber. But for this team specifically, because of how young that they are, because you have faith in the quarterback to get them there, because the coaching staff has shown enough to get to this point despite some clear deficiencies still, I think the fact that they are still far from being the best roster they are possibly capable of being, I think that room for, for growth bodes well for them getting back to this point and not having to rely on some things that aren't sustainable. If they can just continue to stack the roster and be more stable in some areas, even against a tougher schedule, I think their path to getting back and overcoming potentially Super Bowl hangover is much better. It's much more favorable than some other teams in the past. I agree with you. And I think that's kind of the hope that everyone's hanging on to, right? It's, it's, you fix, you continue to fine tune the roster, fix some major deficient areas this off season in free agency in the draft. And here we go again, let's set up for another deep run. But, but, you know, you look at this roster was healthy this year. You look at, you know, they weren't penalized very often, both because they're a, a, a disciplined team, but also, they got a little lucky in some games and had some critical moments uh, throughout this season. They were able to overcome, like you said, poor offensive line play, a lot of sacks and poor red zone performances throughout the postseason. And that, those bit them in the rear here. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but you know, the, someone had mentioned it in the, in the chat, in the YouTube chat, I believe, but you know, the, the referee situation, the inconsistency in this game, I don't, I don't place the blame on the referees for the result in this game. But you know, when you, when you do look at three total penalties called at halftime and four called in the final drive on both teams, because there was an offsetting three, three on the Bengals, one on the Rams, you know, that does kind of make you go, well, why was that tightened up at that moment where you weren't calling that stuff? right uh throughout throughout the the course of the game i don't know if you have thoughts on the on the officiating and the inconsistencies there that was a little little irritating there are some other you know we've seen screenshots and whatnot of players potentially going you know a rams player going on a false start an offensive lineman late in the game aaron donald potentially lining up offsides on one of the final plays of the game that sort of thing i don't know and it went uncalled i don't know if you have any thoughts on that i know you and i aren't really big proponents on blaming the referees but I mean, to say that there were 
inconsistencies there. I mean, I think that's pretty accurate. Sure. Uh, obviously, you're not going to see anybody on the Rams side who was complaining about it, and rightfully right. so. Like, the game wasn't decided by the refs. If there's one call that can possibly contest with that, it was Logan Wilson's holding, which we can all mm-hmm. objectively say was not holding. If that right. if that's the one thing that held the Bengals back from winning, then so be it. It was a bang-bang play. I don't think the ref got it right. No one thought the ref got it right. It is what it is. It's a missed call. Right after that play, you had Eli Apple getting cooked by Cooper Cup. Cup makes a catch in the end zone. The Rams get called for holding, and then would have been moved them back 10 yards had Von Bell not led with his head and get called for unnecessary roughness or whatever that was. Rams get another opportunity. Cooper Cup gets two more targets, one which, which was a DPI because it's all Eli Apple could do in that moment, and one was giving up a touchdown. There were chances for the Bengals even on that final drive. And unfortunately, Von Bell had that penalty that negated a holding, and it might have cost him the game there along with Logan Wilson's phantom holding. But just in terms of like sustainability and getting lucky to this point, if you will, in all three previous playoff games, the Raiders drove down to the red zone. They get intercepted by Jermaine Pratt. The Titans had the ball at the very end of the game. They could have gotten to field range, tip ball, interception. The Chiefs were at the five-freaking-yard line, and they get sacked, and they have to kick a field goal and force overtime. Now the Rams were in, in their, inside the Bengals' zone, red zone and whatnot, and they ended up with a touchdown. Not every time are you going to be able to stop the defense or stop the offense, excuse me, at that juncture in those moments, especially when Matthew Stafford was playing pretty well. Like we all knew that he was going to throw an interception or two, but really only one interception mattered because the other one came in the end zone on a third and long. And the Bengals only got three points off of that interception, three points off Matthew Stafford's turnovers in general. Wasn't going to be enough when your offensive line was playing that bad. But I think that's another thing that bodes well for them. The Bengals, we, we can say what we want about them deserving to be there. And they absolutely did. They proved that they belong and they made a game out of it. They weren't the best team on paper in the playoffs. They definitely weren't the best team on paper in this matchup. And a lot of things had to go right for them to get to this point. I, again, I think this goes well, or it goes along with what I, what I said previously. The fact that they can definitely get better and they can have manageable, there's manageable paths for them to get better and to put themselves in better positions where you're not relying on your defense getting a crucial stop at the very end. You're not relying solely on your explosive offense carrying you when you can't finish in the red zone. There are definite ways for this team to get better and get a more sustainable path to success offensively where they can be more comfortable in these situations and they don't have to rely on a lot of things that they relied on in this postseason run. And like we saw, like the Rams were just the perfect mix of talent and strengths to go against the Bengals' weaknesses. And they still only lost by three points. Like a lot of people pegged them to lose by a lot more. And they were winning for most of, for basically the entirety mm-hmm. of the second half up until the very end. So you know, everything that they did was commendable. And I think that's why a lot of fans are satisfied or they, they can feel joy in, in, in a celebratory fashion about what this team did enough to greet them on their way back, enough to have a, a parade and a rally uh, for, for everything that they did this year. And I think that is the sense that's coming back after that initial shock of losing. Like, this team did a lot for not expecting to be here, and there is definite hope going forward. And I think that's something to cherish. I found myself thinking back to a post-game show I did in the 2020 season, the first Steelers game, wherein Joe Burrow, I I don't remember exactly how many sacks were were accrued by the Steelers in that loss. Uh, That's the last time the Bengals have lost to the Steelers. They've won the last three games. 
I, I, I want to say it was somewhere upwards of half a dozen. And I don't yeah. like to go, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't like to go on these, you know, anti, anti bangle or anti whatever kind of tirades, but I was pretty upset that evening. And I, I think I was kind of spouting such emotional things like, you know, shame on the Bengals for this offensive line that they are fielding and, and whatnot. And I, I never really went back to that kind of <laughs> diatribe again for a variety of reasons. Um, and, and like I said, you know, we try and keep it objective and professional and whatnot, at least as much as possible. We also try and have a hell of a lot of fun on this show too. But, uh, you know, I, I, I caught myself this week thinking back to that show because when we talk about red zone issues, you know, sometimes teams that have red zone issues don't have a good running game. They don't have the receiving talent. They don't have an able tight end or what have you. When you look at 19 sacks given up this postseason in the four postseason games by the Cincinnati Bengals, yes, we know Joe Burrow runs into a, a, a handful of, of, of those sacks. That's almost five sacks per game in the postseason that the Bengals were allowing. And I'm not going to go on the whole, you know, shame on the team for what that, you know, blah, 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 who they fielded and whatnot, because they were able to overcome a lot of deficiencies on that line. And you saw some players be stable this year. Riley Reef, when he was in there, Jonah Williams had some ups and downs, but um, was stable for good portions of the season. And you saw some good things out of Quentin Spain and whatnot. But um, I, I think you just can completely contribute the red zone in terms of touchdown conversion issues to the offensive line. And while they weren't giving up those drive killing penalties, those holds, those false starts that we saw for so many years with Alex Redman and company, um, these sacks were drive killers. These sacks were absolute drive killers in this game. And they were able to, to get past it with some miraculous plays throughout the postseason, John, but it, it just can't be denied. This offensive line needs a lot of work this off season. And that is an understatement. hundred percent. And you know, the talking point was it, they've overcome it so far. What's one more game. And I think we all, especially me, just speaking for myself, got caught up in the idea that some of these runs that we see from teams who aren't necessarily the best, there's just some innate sense that, you know, there's a belief in them, despite the things that they're not good at, that they can continue to overcome it. But at the end of the day, there are no jinxes. There are no. There, there is no magic in this. There isn't football gods blessing one. There isn't, there isn't the NFL script. There is your team against the other team. And if the other team has the greatest defensive player of all time, and then Von Miller as the second best player on that defensive line, that is really hard to stop. And the narrative, for whatever reason, is that the Bengals' offensive line played very well in the first half because Joe Burrow was only sacked once, I think, at the, at the very end of the half. That wasn't necessarily the case. You don't get an 18% pass block win rate just for being bad in two quarters. Like they were not very good in the first half for whatever reason, you know, the Rams were just rushing four at the time and they were, I think they were just trying to win on talent alone. The Bengals had a good opening script to get the ball out quickly. And honestly, after the first two drives, the Bengals offense was fine. They got, I think 10 points in the first half and Joe Burrow wasn't, was untouched and he was getting the ball out quickly. But Isaiah Prince played terribly the whole game. Kima Denji could only last up for so long. Trey Hopkins played well. Jonah Williams had maybe a couple of mishaps, but wasn't terrible. And then Quinn Spain gave up the, the game-ending hit on Joe Burrow with, with Aaron Donald blowing past him. The Rams mm-hmm. did a lot of things in the second half differently than the first half. They made adjustments. They started rushing five guys to get one-on-one matchups. They started overloading one side so they can give 
Aaron Donald a one-on-one matchup, and that's mm-hmm. ultimately what happened at the very end of the game. You know, we talked about, okay, they just got to slide for Hopkins over to his side whenever he's lined up, and that's what they did in the first half. They had the opportunities to do so because the Rams weren't getting very creative in their pass rushes, just like the Bengals' defense against the Chiefs made the correct adjustments to stifle the Chiefs' offense the Rams defense made those adjustments to completely overpower the Bengals offensive line. And you have to give the Rams credit for that, just like you gave the Bengals defense credit for, for stopping the chiefs. And that's why I, I don't abide to the fact that the Bengals choked this game away. Obviously they gave up a lead at the very end and they weren't able to overcome that, but it's not like it's not like the Bengals were just playing significantly worse than what they're already doing. It's just that parts of the Rams defense sort of woke up, you know, Aaron Donald was obviously frustrated by not getting home, for so many times, and then the, the beast kind of was kind of unleashed there towards the third quarter. And then, again, the greatest defensive player of all time, making those plays when it counts, like that's what the greatest defensive player of all time should do. I know that might be blasphemous to Lawrence Taylor fans out there, but Aaron Donald is just something else, and now he's got a ring to his, to his resume. So all the credit in the world belongs with the Rams. And like you said, this offensive line, it's not, it's not even the same offensive line, obviously, that started this season. No one was expecting Isaiah Prince to start in a Super Bowl nor Hakeem Adenogy. This offensive line got on paper worse from a personnel standpoint as the season went on, and they just tried to ride with it, but it obviously wasn't looking good on paper, and no one should be terribly surprised at what happened on the field. Yeah, my my issue with it, I guess, in looking back a little bit, in hindsight, of course, is 2020, but my issue with it, John, is you the Bengals seemingly knew, unless something happened with somebody – swiping up in the first four picks and getting Jamar Chase. They knew that that was the direction that they were going to go. They knew or they had honed in on Jackson Carmen as a target in the second or third round, depending on how the board fell. But that was a guy that they wanted. Now in that guy who had offseason back surgery, a young player, a guy who was a left tackle in college, and they were going to convert to maybe right tackle, but probably right guard, more immediate future. It, it's it he still can become a very good player for this team, but it just seemed like that was more developmental than day one type of starter. So you've got then Jackson Carmen, you've got a question mark in Hakeem Adenogy on the roster and another question mark at, at the veteran level in Xavier Suofilo. Now what they did do is they brought in reef as kind of the proven guy, a, a start right now guy. And then we've got some options at right tackle, but they didn't do the same for the right guard position. And I, you know, it, it, it just seems to me that if that was the plan from the get go, let's get chase. We'll figure out the offensive line later. And the guy that they picked is more of a developmental guy than a day one starter guy for right guard. I, I just, I, 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 I think that these, the plan needs to change going forward. Um, they need someone to step in, next year day one at both of those spots right guard right tackle and if it is one of these developmental guys they better better be damn sure that they are up to the task because 70 total sacks i believe was the number on burrow this year that can't happen like i mentioned 19 sacks taken in the postseason that can't continue to happen um it's you're just not going to win that way. And oh, by the way, whether you want to blame blame it on P Ryan, whether you want to blame it on Zach Taylor for putting P Ryan on the field in these situations, two third and ones that were not converted on the ground at critical junctures in the game, both of those drives led to turnover on downs. <laughs> so I, I mean, you, you got to be able to make these plays. And I think 
quite frankly, the red zone issues and obviously the the majority of the sacks and whatnot. That's just that's just plain old offensive line issues. Well, you know what's funny is because on the very last play, like there was that screenshot of, of Jamar Chase uh, separating against Jalen mm-hmm. Ramsey, who ended up on the ground. And I don't know if like the ball was ever going to go to Chase in that situation because it was originally supposed to go to the other side of the field. The Rams played that pretty well, but it's just funny to look at because it revived the meme of like Jamar Chase yep. being open, but yeah. the offensive line. So, so that resurfaced, but it's funny because, you know, the whole thing was about Panay Sewell, who was never going to, who was never really going to play guard in the first place. But of course the position that failed the most on that play was guard. And that's the position that's failed them the most this season in general. And even going back to the off season, when people were on team chase against team Sewell, even those people still realized that they did not do enough to address the guard spot. Riley Reef for a year and drafting like a Deontay Smith to potentially supplant him, supplant him in a year. Like that was a decent plan, but not addressing guard at all in free agency aside from Quinn Spain and then having Jackson Carmen be the proposed solution, but then having him be third string for the entire offseason and then not mm-hmm. start in week one, like that was has been the issue. And of course, the majority of the issues this season have been at that right guard spot. And even as the season went on, Quinn Spain regressed. And I think that's just more who he is compared to who he was in the first five weeks. So they have major decisions to make a guard. Both of those spots are clear liabilities right now. And they can talk about bringing back Spain on a similar deal to have him compete, but to have this current version of Quinn Spain as your bona fide starter left guard shouldn't inspire confidence with anyone. But going back to the last offseason, that was the one defining thing that everybody, regardless of where you were on the Chase Sewell debate or just the, the overall debate in general, that's the one thing that everyone knew was not done enough and unfortunately cost them in the biggest game. It did. And here's uh, Akila the Great here. Burrow has taken. 30 more sacks in two seasons compared to Andrew Luck. Things must change from a philosophy standpoint when addressing the O-line. One of the talking points that I've been seeing this week, John, um, this half week (laughs) since the game, one of the talking points I have seen is the idea of finally kicking Jonah Williams inside. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't know how you feel about that. Uh, you know, some people are saying he's still struggling a little bit. There's the the short arm thing and all kinds of different things. Um, he has held his own against some other quality players this year as well. He's in year three, kind of a, that critical year for a lot of players to show a jump. He did show a jump, namely in durability, but did show mm-hmm. a jump uh, in general. But I, I don't know. I mean, are, are, what what a what would you think about potentially him kicking inside or does that just create more personnel vacancies, problems, all that kind of stuff and higher price tags, quite frankly, if you're going out in free agency. So I think when people are saying this, they project Williams to be a better guard than a left tackle. And I can see the logic in that. I think there's not a spot on the offensive line that Jonah Williams couldn't play. I think he's that good and that versatile and that athletic to do so. The issue is, when you move John Williams to left tackle, who replaces him? There's always got to be that next step in the equation. Teron Armstead, the guy from the Saints, is being talked about as a potential free agency target. No one has any earthly idea about what he's going to command on the free agent market. And we know that regardless of anything that happens, the Bengals don't spend a ton of money on offensive line. So moving Jonah is nice in theory, so long as you have a guy who's competent enough to replace him. They don't have that guy right now. We don't know if they're going to be able to get that guy, even if they are more aggressive 
in free agency this offseason. So Jonah Williams, at the end of the day, I think will end up being a slightly above average left tackle. I think he's on his way of being that right now. You can honestly qualify him as a slightly above average left tackle right now. That's a good asset to have. Moving that asset doesn't make sense unless you have someone else to replace him. And even then, moving him to guard creates an unknown. You project him to be solid in, in one of those two spots, but you don't know that for sure. And you're not going to know that until you enact that plan. And when you enact that plan, again, you need to have someone that's competent enough to replace him and, and to not be a downgrade at that spot. So moving him makes sense, but other things have to happen in order for that to happen. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So let's, let's, I mean, we, we've kind of hammered the O-line a little bit, and obviously we'll talk a little more at the end in terms of what, what the Bengals may look to do and, and spending and all that kind of stuff. I'm seeing conflicting comments in our live chats about what people seem to believe or what they want to hold on to in terms of old narratives about spending, et cetera, with, with the Brown family. But I want to, let's kind of talk a little Zach Taylor and some ebbs and flows with this game, as, as we mentioned. I, I, I talked about, we can start with the two P Ryan runs on, on third and one um, one at the end of the game actually looked pretty close to uh, to where the line to, needed to gain was, but yeah. um, that's, I guess, neither here nor there. Uh, two failed attempts, P Ryan, two carries, zero yards, mixing not on the field. Now I understand that P Ryan is on the field often for third downs for a variety of reasons. And I understand that there have been, you know, a good, a good, decent amount of occasions where he has helped out quite a bit uh, for, as a backup running back. You can look no, 
you know, as, as recent as the chiefs game where he took a, you know, a, a nice pass all the way into the end zone for a, for a big touchdown. Now, uh, were you, are you surprised that Zach Taylor, Brian Callahan, et cetera, were you surprised that it was P Ryan on the field at that point in time, especially, I, especially with the contract that you paid Joe Mixon, especially with, he had close to five yards per carry in the game at that point, at least, at least towards the, the late ladder carry, the first carry, you kind of wanted to maybe see how things go, but are, were you just surprised at the fact that Mixon wasn't on the field and he was his number was not called for that tough those tough yard runs uh, at either of those junctures in the game? So I am on record for saying that Joe Mixon should have gotten that carry. Uh, talked to other people saying that. The more I think about it, and after listening to uh, Taylor basically be accountable for that decision, the more I don't see that big of an issue with it for a couple of reasons. One, P. Ryan was on the field for it being two-minute offense. That's usually what goes down with that. And normally you don't run the ball in those situations, but it's third and one. It's not necessarily a long one. And they ran at, and this is how they had a lot of success with Joe Mixon. They did a great job of identifying which gap a Rams defensive tackle was not in. And that's how Mixon got a lot of those yards up the middle. And that's the same exact thing that they did this time. This time, though, Aaron Donald makes a phenomenal play against Akeem Adonji. He basically is two gapping in that one spot and just shows color in the other gap. P. Ryan is trying to go into it. And like you said, like he was right there. Like He was mere inches. I don't think the spot was necessarily great on no, that fourth and one play. If it's third and one, I don't think it really matters who the ball carrier is. Like That should just be a first. Like You expect to get a first down there, and no. I don't think – it's fair to say, like, oh, P. Ryan wouldn't get that, but Joe Mixon would. Like, Joe Mixon probably maybe gets that, and if they ran it ten times, he probably gets it maybe once or twice more than P. Ryan. But I think from their perspective, from Zach Taylor's perspective, if P. Ryan's out there, you expect him to get that yard. It's not asking too much to just run right up the middle and it just run right behind your blocker. Aaron Donald just made a great play. So his logic was that you know they could have subbed uh, Mix or P. Ryan out of the game and bring in Mixon. And it would have caused a timeout. But also, if you're the Rams in that situation and it's third and one, the situation could call for a run, and you see the team's second running back leaving the field for the team's best running back, that should be a key too. Like, okay, this is probably going to be a run. If this guy's been in here this entire drive, and then the starting running back comes in, that might be a tip off that it's going to be a run. So, from that sense, in terms of keeping the Rams on their toes and just expecting a yard, I don't see that big of an issue now the more I think about it after 72 hours, but again, it comes down to just execution and we get on the coaches in hindsight for making these decisions when in reality, these are not terribly hard things to execute if you're the players. Right. So let's go to where I thought one of the major, if not the major reason where the game was won and lost. Um, And that is about midway through the third quarter, through about mid to late through the fourth quarter, the Bengals got off to a hot, hot start out of that second quarter um, got the, the big T Higgins touchdown, then the interception to play later, it led to a field goal. So they got 10 points right out of the gate there, grabbed the lead in the, in the game, which was, which was awesome. And, um, but from there they had, what was it? Three, three subsequent punts off of forcing four punts, uh, or maybe was, I think it was actually four punts and a, and a, the downs that they, they let up, you know, the, the turnover on downs that they let up um, off of four punts by the Rams, four forced punts 
that the Bengals defense scored and the Bengals could not do anything. Two of those drives, John, were three play drives that netted. So they had six plays in two drives that netted two yards. Um, now there are a couple of sacks and obviously that goes back to offensive line play. But when you look at that, how, how do you, I, I mean, you, you know, you, you talked about player execution and whatnot. Do you, do you go back still to that aspect only? Is there a coaching facet that you think should have been implemented there that was not? I don't know. I mean, what do you make of that sequence of events? Because that is a huge, huge chunk of time in this game and a bunch of sequence of drives that meant so much to the end score. No, 100%. They lost the game in that stretch. They lost the game probably when they couldn't get in the end zone off of the Awuzie interception. That is being deemed like the turning point of the game to only get three points there when you have first 10 to 30. And, you know, they converted a fourth down on that, on that drive, on that first series, Joe makes, or Joe Burrow, excuse me, took, took a, a drop back up the middle and, and converted that first, but then to go three and out, that's when the Rams pass rush started to come alive. Aaron Donald got a sack against Adenogy by just bull rushing him right into Burrow's face. McPherson gets a field goal, but the defense is playing lights out. You know, Stafford is Matthew Stafford up to the very final ending of the drive of the final drive did not play a very good game and i didn't think so either yeah this was part of that that part of the game where he was just not looking very good they had like a failed philly special he was inaccurate throwing towards the boundary towards the sideline eli apple and awuzie were playing out of their minds up to this point like the defense was doing all they could to get the Bengals' offense opportunities and this is where i think zach taylor comes into question because you can have a game plan going into this game once the second half is starting your offensive line is clearly overwhelmed. Like, they are giving up sack after sack. They gave up seven sacks in two quarters. They tied the NFL record, Super Bowl record, for sacks given up in just basically two quarters and a half. Like, that's that, that's crazy. You notice this, and it didn't seem like the game plan really changed. It didn't no. seem like the play calling, the, the structure, the flow of it, it seemed like they were still calling plays based off the offensive line playing as quote-unquote well as they did in the first half, or just based off of, what the Rams defense line was doing in the first half. The Rams defense line made adjustments and I don't think the Bengals play calling made the adjustments to counter that. And that is where I think you can call play calling in, into question because they were just watching Burrow just take sack after sack with these stunts and these overload blitzes and these simulated pressures and just five man rushes that were just getting to Burrow. We talk about Burrow's been great against the blitz this year, but when your offensive line's getting beat that quickly and you're not instituting some of these quick concepts to, to give Burrow like a hot read or two, barely any play action, basically no screens. Joe Mixon had five targets in a single receiving yard because Burrow was basically his, his, his internal clock was like, okay, I got to get the ball out quickly. And that led to some not very good passing plays because he was so concerned about the pressure. There's one game where I think you can say that the pressure kind of rattled Burrow a little bit into his decision-making. I think this game kind of constitutes as that. You kind of saw like a rookie-ish Burrow out there. And I guess for my perspective, if you want to look at where the blame falls with that, it's Taylor not recognizing this and not making some adjustments on the fly and just expecting his offensive line to continue playing like they did. That's well said. Yeah, I, I agree with you here. Uh, generous super chat from Sox. I'd like to see upgrades at all three interior offensive line positions, free agency, the draft, whatever it takes. The Bengals need to be able to run uh, to run the offense they want in the postseason. Yeah, good good point there. And, of course, this one here – from LeVar Hollis. Thank you, LeVar. 
Um, now that Burrow has injuries to both knees, I really hope he doesn't end up like the original Joe Cool or Broadway Joe, Joe Namath, hobbling around the field. I don't know that that's the case. It's only two years in. But the fact remains, John, and this goes back to my earlier point about the offensive – and your point you just brought up here about the offensive line just getting beat time after time, the amount of sacks that they gave up this postseason and all year long. And here's the truth of the matter, John – the last two games of Joe Burrow's season in his first two years in the NFL, he sustained significant knee injuries. One much more significant than the one he yeah. suffered in the Super Bowl. Still a sprain, and it looked pretty bad. Um, and if you are, I just if you are the Bengals, the front office, the coaching staff, Frank Pollock, etc. I don't know how you don't look at the at the ending of the last two seasons and go, we have to go all in up front. We have to have to. Otherwise, this is going to be a regular thing year in, year out. And he's Burrow's going to take all these hits and, and, and accrue these injuries. So a couple things here. One, the injury definitely looked terrible. Like it could have been a lot worse based off of how it looked. And the fact that he was able to limp off on his own, I think you got the sense that it wasn't as bad as you would think and that he was probably going to finish the game. I think officially it was a re-aggravation of an injury he suffered, I think, in the later part of the regular season. And it's basically being classified as an MCL strain, which is similar to what uh, CJ Uzama suffered, which also looked pretty bad against the Chiefs. And he ended up playing it in this game. So it's definitely not going to impact his offseason regimen. It's just going to be him resting and rehabbing. And he should be fine by OTAs. I want to bring this up, though, in terms of like going all in on the offensive line because let's just get this out of the way. Again, they're not going to spend Joe Tooney money on any right. single offensive line player. They're not going to do that on one. They're especially not going to do that on two. We don't know what the entire market for offensive linemen looks like. you got to remember, Riley Reef was not a free agent at this time last year. He was cut by the Vikings the second week of March. The Bengals signed him the third week of March. We have to look at who gets cut, who, is cap, who are cap casualties, who – gets inputted into this equation that we know as the free agent market. But the last two years, and you can say that the offensive line was the main weakness with this team going back, I don't know, six years now, but specifically with the last two years when Zach Taylor was here, the whole rest of the team stunk too. And they couldn't ignore that either. And now you're, you're in a position where the offensive line remains the biggest need, but unlike 2019 and 2020, the defense is fine. You have basically seven returning, eight returning starters, including Jesse Bates, who you assume is going to, at the bare minimum, get franchise tag. You don't have issues at receiver. You don't have issues at skill position players in general. You might have a slight issue with tight end, depending on what they're going to do with Uzama. The entire team, aside from the offensive line, is basically set to run this thing back. And that has not been the case in recent years. They had to do complete overhauls at defense. They had to get Jamar Chase in there to Mm -hmm. fulfill the, the, the vision that they wanted on top of rebuilding the offensive line this offseason it's just the offensive line that they absolutely like have to do and i think that is what will be reflected in what they do in free agency because on defense obviously trey hendrickson and dj reader like they were big signings but they weren't like massive guaranteed money signings but they filled out the rest of that unit with guys like awuzi guys like mike hilton you know extensions like sam hubbard and i think that is what you can expect at offensive line not these tier Mm -hmm. one uh, signings but multiple solid, capable veterans for modest contracts. And even then, that might not be what they would have done in the past. Like, that's what Kevin Zeidler signed 
uh, with the Ravens this past offseason. The Bengals passed on that because they decided to spend it on the defense. They have no other major position groups to spend this money at aside from offensive line. So if you're a Bengals fan and you're expecting major investment on offensive line, you should expect that in the form of what they did with, with the defense. Guys like Awuzie, like mm-hmm. an Awuzie-type signing at one or two positions on offensive line, I think that's a reasonable expectation going forward because that is where all their focus is on. Yeah, when I say all in, I mean, that's a that's a relative term, obviously. I mean, some people will be like, oh, that means Orlando Brown. That means this guy. That means this guy. And, you you, you know, five pro bowlers across the line, that's not really what I mean. I, I, I do... I do see eye to eye with you on, on what you're talking about with the offensive line and what the Bengals may do this, this year. But my point is, is that Joe Burrow season ended the same, a similar way, not the same severity, but a knee injury. And it's because he's getting hit often sacked often, and that just can't keep happening. And so I, I've, I said this too, this week, to your point there, the Bengals and Zach Taylor, when they when they took this team over, they inherited a mess. They inherited a mess, and there was a lot of different, um, a, a lot of different roster holes and a lot of different areas. If you think about it, it's kind of the image of you know three major fires within your house, and you go, okay, well, <laughs> which, which one do we put out first, right? Um, and so, and so that's, they decided that the offensive line fire was something that they could quell a a different way than at least for the time being and the money that they needed to spend to fix all these areas. They could, they could let that go for a little bit, or at least do the draft and develop, try that out, bring in a new coach and to, and then they'll fix the defense and free agency in the draft. And they fixed the offense, namely through the draft at the, at the skill positions and whatnot. So I understand that. And now this is, now this is probably the off season where they go that we don't, we don't really have a choice. Um, now, wh- whether that means top ticket, the best offensive lineman on the market and, and a bunch of them, I don't know about that, but like you, I, I think, you know, if you're looking tier B or tier two, whatever you want to classify it, you know, um, I, I think maybe tier three, depending. Um, but those are, those are the areas they will probably invest in at, at that point. And, um, you know, probably continue the draft and develop thing. And as we know in free agency, it's a good segue into that a little bit, but um, as we know in free agency, they do take the compensatory pick formula into account and they look at players who are cut and all that kind of stuff that still plays into their free agency formula. I think what's important to remember too, is that this was the fans mindset last year, right? There was guys like Brandon Scherf and Joe Tooney and Daryl Williams who were potentially available. Bengals came with none of them. You know, Zyler was available. They didn't come away with him. They ended up with Riley Reef and Jackson Carmen as their main additions. And that still got people pretty hyped. Like, all, the, all they really needed was Riley Reef, and they started Great Barrier Reef on Twitter. And it got people, like, too hyped. I, I do wonder, though, because, like you said, 70 sacks is not only a lot for one season. It's a lot for two seasons for a quarterback. Burrow can't obviously sustain this we all talked about how it's not going to impact them really this season once they once they showed that they can be successful with it. But like you said, 70 sacks, two now technically season-ending knee injuries sustained. I do wonder, though, if, if like this is the time now where it's it's not going to be enough to just have, you know, a, a stable veteran and like a high draft pick as the, the solutions to the offensive line. I do wonder now if that grace period for the fans is, is done in terms of offensive line investment. But I think they're in an interesting spot with that too, because 
they made it this far with the offensive line and they understand that this team is capable of overcoming some deficiencies. But now that you've seen what Burrow can do and you know how better it can be with a better offensive line, I do wonder if they kind of feel that pressure that, okay, we need to do a little bit more than what we've done in the past. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Well, there are a, a couple of, you know, you mentioned that there aren't many areas other than the offensive line that the Bengals need to work on. While that's true, there are still some some possibilities out there. Obviously, they got to figure out just a brief free agency plan. And we'll be talking about this a lot in the, in the coming weeks here. But obviously, Jesse Bates, that's got to be atop the priority list. He played outstanding this postseason. Yeah. Um, he's got to be atop the priority list. You got to figure out what's going on at the other corner position. And do you cut bait with Trey Waynes? Um, what do you do with Eli Apple and, and, you know, the, the ups and downs that you get with him. Uh, and of course, you know, you've got a Wouzier locked up, which is nice. Um, so, I mean, there are a couple of different areas, you know, you may be looking at, I think Auden Tate maybe, uh, is a free agent. If I got to look at the list and whatnot, but I think yeah, he's he a free is. agent and probably is not coming back. It would seem he's probably going to look for an opportunity elsewhere. I would think so maybe, you know, a, a wide receiver down the pecking order, but again, these are kind of not many starting positions up for grabs other than the offensive line. It would seem through free agency. Yeah. You're looking at defensive tackle, but you have a couple of in-house options yep. BJ Hill, Larry Gajobi. Cornerback mm-hmm. is going to be interesting. Like you said, with Trey Waynes, I think we can both predict that he's going to be gone based on the fact that he was healthy and a special teamer basically towards the end of the season. But Eli Apple, I think has earned a chance to come back and compete for a starting spot, but you have to think that they're going to be interested in looking for an upgrade there. Other than that, I'm like CJ Uzama, I'm assuming yep. wants to come back and he's going to be healthy. So you have the entirety of the offense aside from the offensive line set. You have continuity on defense because all those guys are still under contract. And again, we can talk about Bates, but at the bare minimum, he's probably going to be tagged. So that's at least figured out for this year. 50 million, 60 million cap space pending Trey Waynes. Multiple starting spots in the offensive line open. Nothing really else aside from depth. They're, they're probably go- they are probably going to attract uh, veterans who want to play for a contender now, which is going to be a new avenue for them. Um, guys who maybe will would be willing to take a little bit less, knowing that they get to play with Joe Burrow. I think that is something to consider in terms of just filling out depth, because that's also important too. If you're going to predict that they're they aren't going to be as healthy next year, just having solid depth all throughout the roster would help that inevitable, if we can call it inevitable, regression in terms of injuries. Well, in terms of impact players, it's all offensive line, and that's where we can expect the investment to be. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, let's let's. Uh, well, we'll be doing more free agency profiles, free agency roadmaps, and uh, maybe we'll do the mock free agency mock off season simulators. We'll be doing some mock draft simulators and get you some some prospect profiles as well here, because now the season is done. Um, we'll we'll be getting all that stuff out to you, but uh, kind of starting to close up shop here, John. Zach Taylor signs a, an extension with the Bengals on Wednesday. We heard throughout um, the, the lead up to the Super Bowl that that was being worked on, and he has now uh, signed what he has signed through 20, 2026. 
um, extended for five years here. What just your thoughts and I guess emotions when you heard about that extension being finalized today, a couple days after the the Super Bowl. Well, for starters, like 2026 sounds like a made up year in my mind. Like I, I haven't like thought like that far <laughs> into the future. Like I'm gonna be I'm gonna be 30 when that happens. Oh. Mind blowing to me. Um, so that is like a made up year still, but now I guess it's more in my accepted reality, but five years for Zach Taylor. I mean, we don't even know how long his original, uh, contract was for this. I'm assuming he was under contract for at least one more year. And this is what a four or five year extension on top of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was, it was interesting though, to see people like internal or like process this because one, it was assumed based off of the reports from last week. But also the fact that Marvin Lewis got 16 years with no playoff wins and Zach Taylor is in a Super Bowl in his third year. This is still Mike Brown, who is 85 years old and has never gotten this far. I don't know how in the hell anyone could have expected Taylor to not receive something like this immediately as soon as possible. This is the Bengals. This is like they've changed in some ways, but this is still who they are. They're still loyal. They still value continuity. And this is a reward for one of the greatest three-year turnarounds in professional sports, really, especially in football. So this shouldn't have surprised anyone, even though there were some criticisms that you can make of Zach, not only from the Super Bowl, but still as a coach in general. I just think though that now so many people look at the first two years and hold that regular season record over his head. We've seen him with one full year of Joe Burrow and a competent team around him. They won the AFC North. Is that going to continue? That remains to be seen, but he's shown the ability to do it. And I I think that is obviously important as much as the potential for him to continue growing as a coach and the growing pains that he does have that gets best mitigated when you have an elite quarterback. I'm I'm really, I'm kind of over just overvaluing coaches in that sense, because it really is all about the quarterbacks. And I think, the things that only the coach can really control in terms of just being a leader and having guys want to play for you, which is clearly the case with Zach. Like, I think he's a phenomenal coach in that sense. The only gripes that people have with him are as a play caller. And I think if we have a year where he has a competent offensive line with Joe Burrow, some of those things can be negated because then the game plan goes around a decent offensive line. But then Taylor is a part of building that offensive line in the first place. So it's like a double-edged sword that kind of goes back at you. So in the end, I don't know if Zach Taylor is like a top 10 or top 15 coach in the NFL, but I do know that he's, he deserves more time to fulfill what he wants to do here because he's earned the trust and respect of the players in the, in the front office. And we've at least seen success that we haven't seen another coach in Cincinnati have since Sam Weish, you know, mm-hmm. just, just give the guy a break. <laughs> Quote, Zach has come into the league and worked to develop the foundations for a winning program that can be successful over time. Bengals president Mike Brown said in a statement in this article is on cincyjungle.com as well as on bangles.com. Quote, the fruits of Zach's efforts were seen this year and Zach is well regarded by our players and coaches. I know the effort and passion Zach brings to the building and to our team, and I am pleased by his approach. And I think the city of Cincinnati sees him the way the players and I do. He's brought excitement to the town and deserves credit and recognition for that. 
Uh, hard to disagree with that sentiment by by Mike Brown there in a lot of different regards, and he does seem to have galvanized this locker room. Uh, again, going back to kind of tying a nice bow on this thing a little bit, I, I just worry a little bit about the lightning in a bottle, flash in a pan type of stuff. It doesn't seem, it doesn't truly feel that way because of who the quarterback is, because it seems that Zach Taylor is seeing out this vision and it's, and it's birthed a Super Bowl appearance. But um, it, I, I just go back to, it's hard to get back to this game, John. It's hard to get back to this game. It, the Bengals play in a very difficult division, as you know, and they just, they have to, they have to make sure that they fix the deficiencies that do remain on this roster. Otherwise you're going to see that Super Bowl hangover. I think pretty much like the, the things that aren't sustainable can be fixed in the off season. It's not like, okay. And we talked about this with Burrow and like Justin Herbert coming off of last season and how there were some things that, you know, Herbert was doing as a rookie that weren't necessarily sustainable from a year to year perspective, but the things that Joe Burrow was doing, like that's the signs of a truly good quarterback. This isn't like Eli Manning finding himself in the Super Bowl and then falling off the face of the earth after 2011 or whatever. Like this isn't Joe Flacco, you know, having a, a magical postseason run and then never getting back there at that point. As long as you know and re- reconcile with the fact that Joe Burrow is a really good quarterback who's still 25 years old, and this roster can still become even better, more experienced, and now. They have that experience of being in these moments and producing in these moments. Nothing that they did this year tells you that this is this is the end. Like this is never going to happen again. Now it can be said that they may never get this far because this is a single elimination sport in the playoffs, and there are a ton of other good teams in this conference. And that is a reality. If, if that's what it is, then so be it. But they're not going to be a bad team and capable right. of making a right. run like this. It just all has to click again, in the right spots. But now if you can put together an even better roster, an even deeper roster where you can overcome some injuries and you can over, and you don't have to rely on your quarterback being Superman and overcoming 70 sacks, then it becomes even a little bit easier and you can overcome some of the things that are naturally going to regress next year. I think we can all agree that the Ravens aren't going to be as injury uh, riddled as this year. I think the Steelers are still going to be somewhat competitive, even though we have no idea what their quarterback situation is. It's going to be tough come out of the AFC North again and again and again, but this team has the components to at least do that for the foreseeable future. They do. They do. And that's, that's why optimism remains. Uh, I, you know, and I am optimistic about this team and I, I've kind of said, you know, even leading up to this game and afterward, I, I, anyone who has asked me about it, really, I said, you know, it just seems as if there's going to be that small group of teams over the next handful of years because of who their quarterbacks are that will be, in the conversation of AFC championship potential Super Bowl, And that is the chiefs, the Bengals, the Ravens, the bills. Um, you know, you've got, you've got a number of teams in there that are the chargers potentially, if they can take the next step with Herbert in there. So you've got a, a lot of teams in the AFC that are pretty exciting based on their young quarterbacks, the talented quarterbacks. Um, did I say the chiefs? I should have said the chiefs if I didn't, yeah, but did. uh, I thought so. Uh, so, I mean, those teams will be, those teams will be in the mix for sure. And, and as will the Bengals, it would seem they just, you know, they got to shore up some things. It was a, it was a disappointing result in this game. They did. I, I will say the effort level was most definitely there. 
And I will say, I mean, there, there was not a, a, you know, a quit in this team and, you know, the formula that they rode largely through the year, you know, plus in the turnover margin and no, you know, no turnovers themselves. Um, not a ton of penalties, even though, you know, it kind of bit them at the end there. Uh, it just, it just wasn't enough because of some of those deficient areas and, and hopefully they address that going forward. John, let's, uh, let's drop the mic and get on out of here, my friend. It's been a fun year. I hope everybody has um, enjoyed a lot of the stuff we've done on this channel. John and I made a number of different appearances. We actually did one together on the radio, which was kind of cool. Yeah, we did. Different. So that was, that was fun. Um, we talked, like I said, we talked to Anthony Munoz, Ken Anderson, Charles Alexander. We talked to uh, Tim McGee all last week. And uh, we're in on some of the press conferences and stuff during media week. So it was a really fun week with a lot of fun guests. And uh, I was, I was happy to share that with you, John, but what do you, what do you got for us um, as we head on out of here and head the off season? Now is just the time to just take a deep breath, maybe take a couple of days, just really sit back and recognize what a year this has been. Like I can only speak for me going to, or seeing the jerseys right before they got revealed, being invited to, to that experience, you know, being invited to Mock Turtle Soup for Media yeah. Day, um, yeah. seeing the the, the the ruler of the jungle, um, like, announcement and everything before the season, and then covering the season with you, man, covering it on Cincy Jungle and all the highs and the lows, and then this magical postseason run, going to that playoff game and celebrating with everyone, something that my generation has never seen before, and then covering a god blessed Super Bowl like it's been it's been remarkable and when you really just sit back and you know reconcile all that it really is a lot and it really is worth celebrating even though some knuckleheads in Pittsburgh don't really seem to, to, to believe that, oh, that but no that goober oh my gosh goobers we're talking about the one yeah if, if we're talking about the same guy good god that guy so yeah to everyone out there who is upset at uh Colin in on Pittsburgh radio you know <laughs> It is it is a time for celebration, even though it's bittersweet, even though it didn't end like everyone wanted it to. There was a lot that happened this year, and it really was a year for the record books with everything that the organization done on and off the field. So, you know, my, my advice is just to really just let, let it all soak in and just maybe take a couple of days. Don't go on Twitter and clown the Rams for not having anyone at their parade. That, that That's useless. It doesn't matter anymore. It's in the past. Like, don't. Don't worry about what everyone else is saying about the team. We all know what they are. Be secure about it. Take a couple of days off Twitter. Free agency will get here when it gets here. But right now, just breathe in. Breathe out. <laughs> yeah, goose brava, right? Uh, yeah, and, and just kind of just a, a small piggyback off of that, really. It's just, you know... It, it was a it was a disappointing result, obviously, and very heartbreaking how the how the team lost that game. But it's refreshing to number one feel like the future is bright over the next handful of seasons for the Bengals, and number two, it's actually refreshing to be frustrated and to be like, man, they could have won that game. They could have instead of being like, oh, we're just happy to be here. This is awesome, right? It it's they were right in that game and had that game. And while that is so frustrating, it, it shows that they are, are very close and very close to something It was a special season and close to being extremely special. And, and hopefully that, that comes ahead. So um, at any rate, it's, it's been fun covering this season with you, John, it's been fun 
covering it on Cincy Jungle and sharing all that stuff with our listeners. We hope that they've enjoyed what we've been putting out there, as well as the great stuff from Ace and Zim, who were at the Super Bowl and they did not come see me, John. I, and I, I did. I was conversing with Jake Liskow as well. It was kind of chaotic out there, though, honestly, to try and meet up with anybody. So um, I, I didn't get to really meet up with anybody, and I was already late to the party to go uh, to the game myself. <laughs> but um, at any rate, Ace and Zim, Orange is the New Black, they do great stuff on that show on the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel as well as Coach Speak and Chalk Talk from Matt Minnick. Hope you enjoy that. Take care, everybody. This has been the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. We'll be back with free agency talk, draft talk, and a lot more coming up. So we'll <laughs> my my partner's Dan Dan's in there. I see it. You're you're celebrating all so that exciting, stuff. you know. <laughs> Simulators galore, right? Yay. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk to y'all later. Claude 3 from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point of the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skill and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest-cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.